Steve, of course, baseball writer, reporter, and senior fantasy editor for USA Today Sports. There are there are certain things in the dead of winter, Steve, that just make me happy. One is hearing the Masters music and also seeing promos for it. And two is hearing the phrase pitchers and catchers reporting because it means soon enough whatever that stupid groundhog says it's at least going to start getting warmer at some point uh this just feels like I, I feel like there's just a lot of intrigue in this baseball season for a lot of reasons one you've got rule changes uh which are certainly going to be people either love them or people mm -hmm. or hate them but you also just have a lot of star power a lot of young star power in major league baseball right now when you go into this season, just kind of big picture, what stands out to you the most that you're really paying attention to? Well, I think the first thing, Nick, is that we're having a, a normal spring training and a normal off season. There's no lockout. There's no COVID. There's nothing to keep us from getting, you know, as as excited about baseball as we normally do at this time of year. So that's number one for me. Number two, yeah, of course, the, the rules will be something that we'll we'll be learning kind of on the fly as uh, as the players and and the coaches and managers will be. But you hit on it. I think. The young players, the young stars that are coming up, I think is what really makes baseball exciting in 2023 with uh, you know, the Julio Rodriguez's and Michael Harris and, mm -hmm. and guys like that that we just got a glimpse of and we want to see a lot more of. And uh, that's, that's what has me excited. Steve, as far as the teams go from a betting perspective, is it worth putting my money on the who's who, you know, the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Mets? Or is there maybe a team that nobody's talking about that I could actually make a little coin on? Well, I think you're, you guys know this as, as well as I do and better, that uh, those marquee teams are always going to be betting favorites. So you need to look somewhere else. Um, the Padres, I don't know. Uh, that may be a, a betting opportunity, a uh, possible profit opportunity. Um, although they've had just a phenomenal offseason, they're accumulating you know, uh, players like a big market team when they're actually a small market team. So the Padres will be interesting to me. And uh, in terms of winning it all, I, I think maybe the Toronto Blue Jays could be kind of a dark horse, a team that while the Yankees are getting all the attention in the American League East, the Blue Jays are a very, very good team in their own right. And maybe they underachieved a little last year. I think this could be the year that, uh, that the Blue Jays possibly make it to the World Series. You mentioned the Padres. And I feel like some of these teams, the Padres have gone out and just spent – I mean, so, so much money now. I'm looking at some of these names when you talk about MVP odds. Juan Soto, the favorite, plus 550. Fernando Tatis Jr. is 10 to 1. You're looking at Manny Machado, who's in a contract year uh, at 12 to 1 right now. Is this, is this a team that, like, when you have that much star power, could that hurt? I guess the best way to phrase it, could that hurt MVP consideration for certain players if you're playing with three or four other uh, top five or top six candidates to win the MVP? Absolutely. I think that's that's hurt some Dodgers players in the past because they've been so stacked. Um, but I, I think, too, that you mentioned Manny Machado. He's kind of the guy that makes that team go. Um, we saw his leadership in the clubhouse. You mentioned the contract drive. Um, the Padres would love to keep him, too, and winning a World Series title might help them do that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think while if you have a lot of star power, it does detract from the uh, the magnitude of the individual stars. But when you win, 
I think that encompasses everything and uh, makes everybody a, a better candidate and makes everybody look better. Same question, Steve, but in the American League, is it Aaron Judge's award to lose on that side? I think I think we're going to have a two-man race once again. I mean, Aaron Judge had a season for the ages, but again, Shohei Otani is just so amazing in what he does. Uh, coming off his MVP season two years ago, he actually had a better year pitching and hitting than he did in 2021, but yet Aaron Judge just blew the top off of everything and all the expectations um, and had to be the MVP. I think Shohei Otani could definitely give Judge a run for his money this year and uh, you know, maybe even throw in a Jose Ramirez there for the, uh, for the Cleveland Guardians who could possibly win their division and talk about star power. He's really the only guy on that uh, Guardians team that has that kind of MVP star power. Talking to Steve Gardner, bet MGM tonight. So I mentioned the rule changes a little bit. Uh, pitch clock is one of the big ones everybody's talking about, right? It's baseball, no clock. Now you've got a clock. There's going to be people that love it. There's going to be people that hate it. Uh, the one that stands out to me, and maybe I'm overplaying this, and tell me if I am overplaying it a little bit, the larger bases actually really intrigues me because I know that Major League Baseball, they want to encourage you know, more stealing. They want to encourage more action on the base path which I think is going to benefit Trey Turner in Philadelphia. Like, I think he leads the majors in steals just by that alone. I mean, as a Nats fan, it kills me to see Bryce Harper and Trey Turner both in a Phillies uniform, but I'll deal with it. I will move on. <laughs> what rule, if maybe all the rules, what, what, what do you think is probably the one that will have the biggest effect on games this year? I do think the pitch clock is because it's going to affect every single time the ball is, you know, is put in play or is thrown, you know, uh, however many pitches we have, 150 for each team or you know, whatever that is, it's going to be an impact on every single one of those. So uh, pitchers will have to adjust. Um, some of I think some of the relief pitchers that are used to taking an awful lot of time between pitches and gearing up to throw 100, 101 miles per hour, I think their velocity is going to go down. That might make it easier for, you know, a, a, a easier, quote unquote, uh, you know, only 98 miles per hour, 97 for hitters to hit. But um, it, it might have a little bit more of a, an effect on games later uh, in the late innings and can help, you know, possibly get those batting averages uh, tilt a little bit more toward the hitter when it seems like just the nastiness of the pitches and, and everything else has made this game more of a pitcher-dominated game. So I think that's going to be the one. The, the shift rules, I think, are going to be interesting because, you know, how are teams going to, you know, when there was no uh, limitation on where you could play fielders, teams got really creative. I think the shift is going to give teams an opportunity, while it might not look as creative, to try different things as well, whether it's bringing another outfielder further over, you know, arranging the outfield alignment or, uh, or whatever, um, you know, bringing whatever the shortstop or the second baseman right behind second base, right to the borderline, um, maybe some in play types of, uh, of movement. But um, I think that's the one that's the biggest unknown and uh, what teams will be experimenting in spring training and early in the season to try and find, you know, the strategy that works the best for them. Yeah, and there's certainly going to be an adjustment period. But let me ask you this. I mean, do you like these changes that Major League Baseball is throwing in? Because there's a lot. I do. I, I think the pitch clock in particular is going to help the game because there's the dead time takes so much uh, additional time and adds it on to the game as we know it. And uh, as it drags on, 
I think that's not great for TV. It's it's not bad if you're in the ballpark and you're enjoying it with a, a brew and, and some friends. But um, to make it more TV friendly, I think that's important. And you just look back at some of the, you know, the video of games from the 1960s or 70s. There's no messing around. You know, Jim Palmer is on the mound. He's ready to throw the ball. And, and the batters are in the batter's box ready to hit. Um, I think that's going to be probably the most fan-friendly thing that we will see out of all of these new rules. The Pro Bowl, at least the way that we know it. <laughs> and if you listen to our opening segment, our boy Nick tried to kill the NBA All-Star game with good reason. I mean, I'm right there with yep. him putting in those final nails because that was hard to watch. Where do we stand with the baseball All-Star game? Is it the last one that we can count on for actual entertainment? I think so. And I've always loved the baseball All-Star game. You know, it, it there was a little bit, of, there was a time in there that Bud Selig wanted to make, uh, you know, the game count and have the All-Star game determine home field in the World Series. I think that was misguided. But I think the the concept of let's see the best players go up against the best players is something that that Major League Baseball maybe can do more so than the NFL and the NBA because it's that one-on-one -on -one battle. And you don't have, you know, th there's no way to ease up, really. I mean, you're not going to see pitchers throwing 65-mile-an-hour fastballs. You can still do your thing. You only do it for, you know, a few innings, not an entire game. And, uh, yeah, I think seeing all the different players from all the different teams, um, it's still baseball's all-star game has that sort of, I don't know, uh, maybe it's nostalgia, but it's still it's still the game. And it looks a lot more like the real game than the NBA All-Star Game or the, the, uh, the Pro Bowl or even the NHL All-Star Game ever can. Yeah, it's, uh, it's gotten really sad what the NBA All-Star Game is, but Major League Baseball has kept there as competitive, and the Home Run Derby is still fun, so I, I, it's, it's great to see at least one still work. Uh, we spent you know a few minutes, obviously, talking about the Padres and all the money they've spent, but how about the Rangers? I mean, they spent almost half a billion, do half a billion dollars last year on a couple of infielders in one day. They go and spend a bunch of more money this offseason. Jacob deGrom is certainly one of those there. Uh, what do you see from the Rangers this season? I know, obviously, the big caveat here is we need Jacob deGrom to stay healthy. Right, and, uh, and I think they're kind of betting on him being able to do that and lift the team, you know, even to greater heights. Uh, they, they have a long way to go, you know, before last year and, and before they brought in Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon as the, uh, the headliners, um, they were pretty much a, a you know, hundred loss type team. And that division, the AL West, I think may be the most exciting division in baseball because you've got the Astros, you've got the Mariners who are just uh, an up and coming young team. And uh, I think, you know, except for the Oakland A's, um, that, that division's loaded, and you throw Texas in there. Um, it, it could be really, really exciting the way that those teams are battling there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think uh, Texas certainly, um, they have the money to spend. They have a new ballpark. They have an excited fan base. And bringing in a headliner like Jacob deGrom can only help. Steve, let's go from the uh, west side to the east side, if you will, in the uh, National League. Do you think that's the Mets division to lose? Three million bucks. You can put it on the Mets. You can put it on the Braves. You can take the rest of the field. I, I would go with Atlanta, to tell you the truth. I mean, the, the Mets had a 101-win team. Um, but really, what Steve Cohen's money and, and his spending spree did was basically 
return the team intact. And I know that Jacob deGrom is gone. Justin Verlander is in. To me, that's kind of, you know, two elite pitchers. DeGrom did not have a great season for sure, but the injury risk with both of them is still fairly high because of their injury histories and for Verlander, his age. So, I mean, what what the Mets were able to do was keep Brandon Nimmo in center field, keep Edwin Diaz as the closer and add a little bit more depth perhaps. But still, Atlanta has got such a talented team at every spot. You know, they've been masterful in locking up the younger players so that they can keep this this team intact for a long time. And, uh, and I think that has additional value as well with all of those guys learning to play with each other and, and f- being ex- you know, except- exceptionally familiar with each other. I have Atlanta as my favorite um, and in the East. And I think if you, if you made me pick somebody, uh, I think I would pick Atlanta right now to go to the World Series from the National League. I think they're that good. Yeah, and I mean, we know the Dodgers are stacked, but you can also say the same thing about the Braves, who could actually be better than that World Series winning team. So the National League certainly has some monster, monster teams out there. Steve Gardner, USA Today. Great talking to you, man. Looking forward to talking throughout the season about baseball. Appreciate the invite. Enjoyed it, guys.